Please turn to Acts chapter 28, Acts chapter 28, and Lord willing, we're going to be finishing our study in the book of Acts this morning, and uh, it's exciting. I know uh, we began this series in a parking lot in June of, of 2020, and uh, some of you some of you have never been at Bethany uh, when we weren't in the book of Acts. I know we have a lot of new people, so how many of you have never been here how many of you are worried, like, I came here, I don't know if I'm going to like this church if we're not in Acts. Okay, good, no one, okay, so, but we're finishing up, Lord willing, this morning, and uh, I encourage you to be reading 1 Samuel. We're going to be looking at chapter 1 next week, and so be, be reading ahead in, in 1 Samuel, be preparing your hearts for that, but we're going to be looking at, at Paul's, the last little part of Paul's life that Luke reveals to us here in chapter 28. And remember, Paul has made it to Rome. As he's arrived in Rome, he's called some of the Jewish leaders in Rome to, to come and visit him. And they've said, they come visit him, and they want to they point a day for him to talk more about the, the gospel. And so he has just done that. In fact, I'll, I'll start. We're looking at verses 24 uh, through 31, but I'll, I'll start in verse 23. But you may stand with me, and if you're able to, in honor of God as we read his word together. Beginning in verse 23, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And then we come to verse 24. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and, if their, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. You may be seated. May God encourage us through the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we are excited to come to your word. Our, our hearts anticipate that you will, through your word, speak to us. And we, we pray that our hearts would not be dull, that our, our hearts would not be, be hardened to your word, but that, it would, that our hearts would be prepared to receive it. Your spirit would be gracious and enable our hearts to, to grasp these truths, that our eyes would be opened, that we would perceive, that our ears would be opened, that we would hear. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So this morning, as we come to the end of the book of Acts, we, we find Paul being faithful persevering in, in doing what God has called him to do, continuing to proclaim the gospel message. He is being faithful. 
persevering. Even as the, the Jews reject, some of the Jews reject the gospel, he continues to persevere. Perseverance is a very hard thing to do. I was reading a, an article in the Washington Post this past week, and they were talking about a New England Journal of Medicine study that had been done. And this, this study tracked 74,000 people. Maybe some of you read about this this past week too. It tracked 74,000 people ages 35 to 70 over a period of, of two decades. And it, it watched what they ate, kind of kept track of what they eat. Did, did they eat healthy or did they eat unhealthy? And it said healthy foods were things like fruits, vegetables, fish, nuts, things like that. You, you know it's healthy. And uh, unhealthy foods are, uh, you know, the highly processed foods and potato chips and soda, things like that. Uh, so good news and bad news. Uh, the bad news is it really, really matters what you eat. Uh, they, they found that a 20-year-old that started to adapt to a Mediterranean diet could add like 11 to 13 years to his or her life expectancy. So that's the bad news. You need to eat healthy. Uh, the good news was that you could start at any age. Like even 60-year-olds who started to eat healthy could add uh, like nine years, seven, nine years to their, their life expectancy. So well, I guess that's good and bad. That means you still have to eat healthy. But it's good news. Now, I tell you that, and you're not going to change your behavior probably, right? It's interesting. I also, the same day I read that, read that article, I read that PepsiCo, who produces chips and soda, they had their highest one-day increase in their stock price in two and a half years this, this, this past week, too. So, I, I, in fact, their spokesperson said this. They said, we exited the third quarter with the consumer, still very healthy in terms of our particular category. So they said, we, we exited the, the quarter very healthy, but someone misread the headline and said, uh, PepsiCo consumers very healthy, uh, which, is not, which is not true, <laughs> I, I guess. Uh, so... But we know what we need to do. We know, you know, we know we need to eat. We know we need to sleep. We know we need to, to exercise. And, and, and it's hard. And, and some of us, maybe we start, okay, this is going to be the, the day, the week, the month, the year that I'm really healthy. And, and we try. We persevere. But, you know, we're, we're humans. We, we fail. It's hard to do what we know we need to do. And if it's true for us physically, it's, it's so much true, more true for us spiritually. We know that the Christian life is a life of perseverance. And the Christian life in proclaiming the gospel is, is a life of perseverance. We're, we're called to per, per continue to pursue proclaiming the gospel even in very hard circumstances, even when the people to whom we're proclaiming the gospel reject it. And we see Paul in this text continue to be faithful. And we want this morning, as we conclude our study in the book of Acts, we want to pray that God would help us to be faithful to his purposes for our church that we've seen revealed here in the book of Acts. Here's kind of the main thing that I want us to, to think about this morning and want us to be praying for that God would be gracious in. May God continue to enable us to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and to prepare his people to worship him forever. That's the, the purpose statement of our church. That's what we've seen God call the church to do here in the book of Acts. And it's what we need to ask God to enable us to do as we come to the end of the book of Acts. May God in his grace 
and only in his grace is this possible. May God continue to enable us to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, to, to persevere in that, and to prepare his people to worship him forever. What we're going to do this morning, we're going to talk about the, the response to the, bro, the proclamation that, that Paul gives. Then we're going to look at the perseverance to the proclamation of the kingdom that Paul engages in. And then we're going to spend some time looking at four encouragements as we leave our study in the book of Acts. So let's, let's dig in here and let's begin and let's look at the response to the proclamation. So Paul has been proclaiming the kingdom of God and proclaiming the, kingdom, Jesus, the king, Jesus Christ, and we come to verse 24. And how do they respond to his expounding to them from the Old Testament about the kingdom of God and about Jesus as king? It says, verse 24, there is, there's both, uh, there's both, a reception and a rejection to Paul's message. Some receive it. The first part of verse 24 says some were convinced. They were, they were persuaded. And Luke uses a word here that we've seen him use several times in the book of Acts to describe people who become convinced of the truths of the gospel. This is something, this persuasion, that only God can accomplish. Remember when we were in Acts 16, we saw Lydia's response. It says that one of us, one, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. She was a worshiper of God, but the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and she was able to, to hear and receive. God did this divine work in her life and her heart, and she was able to be persuaded of the truths of the gospel. So, like Lydia, some of the Jews here in verse 24 receive the gospel. They, they believe, they're persuaded. But Luke draws a strong contrast between that group and another group. He said, but some others, verse 24, disbelieved. They did not accept the gospel message. In fact, verse 25 tells us what happened. These, these Jews had come into the house where Paul is staying in agreement. They all agreed about what they believed about the Old Testament writings, the law, the prophets, and the, and the writings. They, they were in agreement. They enter into the room. Paul goes to the Old Testament prophets and the law, and he says, okay, this is how this is pointing to this person, Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Some are persuaded. Some aren't persuaded. They come in in agreement. They leave the house, and what? The text tells us, disagreement. They are no longer united. There's a, a Greek word that Luke uses here. There's a, a word, symphonis. It's, it's like the word we get the word uh, symphony from, symphonis. It's, it's to mean, it means to be in agreement, to, to be in harmony. And I think a, a symphony is a good illustration of that word. Like there's all the parts are in agreement and, and come together and they sound well together. But Luke uses a, a different word here, asuphonus, so like unsymphonic. That's not an English word. That's a Daniel word. But it, it means to, to be dissident, to, to, be, to be in disagreement, to be in, in discord. And that's what happens among the Jews. They come into the room in agreement. Some believe the gospel, some don't. They leave in disagreement. The gospel divides. Same thing we saw in Acts chapter 13 when Paul was in 
uh, Pisidia, Antioch, and there's division among the Jews there. And so he says, I'm going to the Gentiles. This is fulfilling Jesus' words from Matthew chapter 10. Don't, don't think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace but a sword. So, some believe, some disbelieve, there's disagreement, and Paul, the text tells us, has one more word for them. Now, whenever you and I are in a disagreement with someone, and we want to give someone one more word, uh, often it's not very constructive, right? You're on a text stream with someone, and you're disagreeing with them, and your last word is whatever, or uh, I guess you don't understand sarcasm, or uh, apparently you don't know how to think very well. I mean, you've, you've seen that it's on someone, two people are disagreeing on social media as well, and, and, and you, it just makes you cringe as you watch these two people disagreeing, trying to have the, the last word. But that's not Paul's motivation here. Paul's motivation isn't to be vindictive and to get the last word in so that he can kind of, kind of assert his superiority. His last word to them is a word that reveals his, his care for their souls. He quotes Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. And Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, there, there's some slight differences from the Hebrew text as he quotes the Septuagint, the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, but, but the basic idea is the same. And this passage, Isaiah 6, verses 9 through 10, is a passage we see used multiple times in the New Testament to describe the reasoning be, behind why the Jews were rejecting the gospel. Look at what Paul says as, as he quotes Isaiah chapter 6. First of all, he says, look, you guys are just like your fathers. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. And then in verse 26, as he quotes Isaiah 6, he says, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. So you're gonna, the words are going to come in, but you're not going to, to comprehend what they are. And in fact, you'll, you'll see but not perceive. And so you're not going to understand. You're not going to be able to, to, to comprehend the truth of these things. And you're not going to be able to see the beauty of these things. You're not going to be able to, to perceive the rightness. And how we talked about this last week, how the, the things that I'm saying are the best way to describe true reality. We, we talked about this and how oftentimes as we talk with people in our culture, their perception of reality is, is so distorted and they can't see the, the beauty and the truth of God's word about how there's, there's blessing found in walking in obedience to God. So there's, they, they, they can't understand, they, they can't grasp the, the true nature of reality, and they, they can't perceive the beauty of the gospel. Now, why? It tells us the reason. Verse 27, it says, for this people's heart has grown dull. Literally, it means to, to make fat. It's, it's an expression that means it's, it's impervious. Nothing, nothing's going to get through to this heart. And the result, he says, it's a repetition of what he's already said. That, so their, their eyes, with their, with their ears, they can barely hear. and Their eyes, they've closed. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes. They would hear with their ears. They would understand with their heart. And as they 
as their hearts received the truth, what would happen? They would repent. They would believe. They would be healed. So he says in verse 28, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God, this this deliverance that God is bringing through the Messiah, has been sent to the the Gentiles, and they're going to listen. Now, there have been some wrong ways and some right ways that people have interpreted what Paul is saying. Some people have said this, well, okay, this is ending the book of Acts, and and so what this means is that God has has rejected the the Jews, and, and the gospel can no longer be given to people who are ethnically Jewish. And that's certainly not true, right? Romans chapter 11, I I believe, is describing a future time when when the Jews, ethnic Jewish people, ethnically Jewish people will respond to the gospel. Verse 25 of Romans 11, Paul says, lest ye be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A a partial hardening has come upon Israel, and I, I believe he's talking there about those who are ethnically Jewish until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and in this way all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And John Gill, uh, writing in the 1700s about Romans chapter 11, said this. He says, this refers to a, a later day when a nation of them shall be born again at once. A nation of the Jews shall be born again at once, when their, their numbers being as of the sand of the sea, they shall come up out of the lands where they are dispersed. They shall return and seek the Lord their God and, and David their king and shall acknowledge Jesus to be the true Messiah and shall look to him, believe on him, and be saved by him from the wrath to come. And, and like Gil, I, I believe that that's, that's talking about uh, Jewish people, people who are ethnically Jewish. Now, I believe that we're all one in Christ now, and, and I believe that's, that's going to continue to be true, that the, the Jews are going to come and become part of, of God's people through faith in Jesus Christ. And I believe that's a, a, a future day as a historical premillennialist. But whether you're pre-mill or ah-mill or post-mill, all of us who believe in the, the power of the gospel and believe in the, the truth of the totality of the New Testament would say, no, this, this, this passage here, verse 28, is not saying that we should no longer proclaim the gospel to people who are Jewish. We still proclaim the gospel to the Jews. So that, that's not what Paul is saying. What's the, what's the right way to take what Paul is saying? What Paul is saying here is that, that for this moment, there's a spiritual heart condition that causes them not to rightly grasp reality and the beauty of the gospel message. People are going to continue to live intentionally in a way that's contrary to their interest. Now, I want to give a couple applications here. Before I do, some of you may be kind of panicking a little bit when I, when I was reading. Maybe some of you are in verse 20, you saw me read verse 28, and then you saw me go to verse 30 and you said, what happened to verse 29? Well, verse 29, as we've talked about before sometimes in our reading of the New Testament, that's a verse that wasn't originally in the, the text that Luke wrote. Maybe a, a scribe or someone added it later and it kind of got into some copies. It, it says in verse 29, and when he said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves. So I don't believe that Luke wrote that, but it doesn't contradict any, any uh, gospel biblical truths, does it? Now, a couple applications here as we think about this response of the Jews to the proclamation. Number one, number one, 
Prepare yourself for rejection. Prepare yourself for a lifetime of rejection. Get ready. When I was in ninth grade, there was a, I, was, I was in a musical. Correct that. I was in a lip-syncing show. Some of you were going, were you in a musical? I've sat next to you during singing. No, I was, in a, I was lip-syncing. And, and the, the skit that I was supposed to do, I was supposed to, the teacher assigned me this, this, I was supposed to sing this love song to this, this, this girl. And I didn't, didn't know the girl very well, but, you know, we started practicing and stuff. And, and one of her friends came up to me and says, hey, uh, Daniel, she thinks you're really cute, and you should talk to her. And I said, well, I will. And so I, I, I called her up on the phone, and we, we talked for a, a little while, and the next day her friend came up to me. She doesn't think you're cute anymore. Uh, <laughs> after talking with you, she realized, no. I was like, wait a minute, are you saying she just liked me for my looks? <laughs> I can live with that. <laughs> so. It wasn't my only time to be rejected. The Christian life is a lifetime, though, of painful, hard rejections. More than just a, a girl in a, a lip-syncing show you're doing, it's, it's your, your parents rejecting you. It's, it's your coworkers rejecting you. It's, it's your children rejecting you as you proclaim the gospel. Prepare yourself. If you're going to be faithful, by God's grace, prepare yourself for a lifetime of rejection. A second point of application here is, look, there is a spiritual hardening that happens to people that we need to recognize we cannot overcome apart from God's divine intervention. We can't be winsome enough. We can't be uh, argumentative enough. We can't be kind enough. That, that doesn't mean we don't try, but it means we recognize, okay, as I share the gospel with people, there's, a, there's, there's this lack of ability that I have to, to permeate to the heart, and, and no matter what I do, that, that heart is impervious to the gospel truths. And, and you know, I, I, we've seen this over and over again, right, as we've proclaimed the gospel to people. We see just a hard heart that won't receive the gospel truth. I, 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 um, there's a book I read. This was also in ninth grade. Ninth grade was a great sermon illustration year for me. Uh, it was called Alas, Babylon. Maybe, maybe some of you have read Alas, Babylon. It was written in the 1950s. Back in the 1950s, they were afraid of the, uh, nuclear warfare. And uh, I, so I was thinking about it recently. And I, I was thinking about that. There's this, there's this scene in the story where there are some characters who have, it's, it's set after there's a radioactive, there's a nuclear war, and there's a, a couple characters who are struggling with, with radiation poisoning. And they find that these characters in the story have grabbed some jewelry from a nearby town. They, they brought in this, this jewelry was exposed to radioactive fallout. And what's interesting in the story is, is some of these people are clinging so tightly to these jewels and these, this, this jewelry and this gold that no longer has any value in society, but they're, they're clinging to it. They don't want to, and it's killing them. And, and we see that, I've thought about that, that imagery a lot when I've been counseling with people. You see people just clinging to things that are, are, are killing their souls. And there's nothing you could, there's no argument you can say. There's no thing you can, can convince them to help them let go of those things. Only God can intervene in these things, right? One last point of application here before we go on. 
it's appropriate, and I would argue it's even important for you to point out the spiritual realities to people of, of why they're rejecting the gospel. It's important for you to, to tell a person, look, here's why you're rejecting the gospel at times. What I mean. What Paul does here is, is, is an act of kindness and love. He says, look, be, before we leave, let me give you one word, and, and he quotes Scripture to them. He says, I just want you to know that what Isaiah says is exactly what you're doing, okay? And so as, as you leave, just, just let that... Let that m- kind of rest on your heart. May, may God just allow through his spirit that to, to sink in and eventually may that heart become pervious to the, to the truth. And so that's, that's what he leaves him with. And it's entirely appropriate for you and I as we, as we plead with people to receive the gospel to very kindly and lovingly say, okay, I, I understand you're rejecting this, but just let me give you one more thought. And then to, to leave them with like, hey, what you're rejecting here is, and, is, is this, and here's why you're doing it. So for example, you're talking with a person, they say, look, I, I hear the gospel, but, you know, may, maybe there's, there's some sexual immorality they're involved in. And they say, look, I, I just don't want to leave this lifestyle. I, I can't believe that God doesn't want me to be happy in this way. They say, look, I understand, but let me just, Romans 1. Here's what Romans 1 says about exactly what you're doing, that, that God is going to turn people over to their, their sinful passions, and, and, I, and I believe that's what's happening here. Or I know a counselor who uh, a pastor who whenever someone would would reject his his counsel and said look I don't want to talk to you anymore I'm going to continue my sin he would quote Proverbs 13:15 he says look Proverbs 13:15 says the way of the transgressor is hard and and I I love you and I understand you don't want to receive counsel from any, me anymore that you don't want to change but just and I I've, I've said this to people as well I says look just Remember what God says. God says in Proverbs 13, 15, the way of the transgressor is hard. And I, I'm confident that if you continue down this path, you're going to have just some very miserable times ahead of you. And so my prayer is that in that misery that you're going to feel, that you would remember these words, the way of the transgressor is hard. And you say, this is exactly what God said would happen. And you would turn and place your faith in Jesus Christ and walk in obedience. It's loving as we proclaim the gospel and see people respond to it to leave them with parting words that are, that are biblical. Let's talk then about perseverance. Just two verses here. Paul doesn't just proclaim the king and the kingdom. He, he perseveres in that proclamation. He doesn't let this, this, this rejection by the Jews discourage him. And, and look at what it says in verses 30 and 31. It says, he lived there two whole years, and that's in this, this rented home, at his own expense, and that's probably his own expense with other believers helping him meet that expense. It says, and he, he welcomed all who came to him. So Jews, Gentiles, whoever wants to talk to him, he, he, he cares for them. And it says that, Here's what he did, and here's how he did it. What did he do? He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught them about the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's proclaiming and teaching about the, the kingdom in Christ. Those aren't two different ways and two different subjects. It's, it's all the, the same process of instructing. It's all in the same topic, the kingdom of God, the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he does it how? With all boldness, without hindrance. He continues to persevere. There's kind of a triumphal tone as Luke ends the story of Luke. Uh, Luke ends the story of Paul. 
He keeps on proclaiming the gospel. He does it with boldness. And by God's enabling, he does it without hindrance. And that's the end. Now, a lot of people, and maybe you've felt this way before whenever you've finished the book of Acts, have kind of felt like this. What, that's, that's the end? Like, you've just been chapter after chapter talking about this, this, this tension with the Roman government. How's, how's the trial going in? Luke doesn't tell us. Why doesn't he tell us? What's his deal? Well, you can ask him yourself someday. I don't know. Some people have said, well, maybe, maybe the events of the story caught up to the, the time that Luke was writing, or, or maybe Luke was just so sad about uh, Paul dying that he's like, I don't, even, I don't want to go into that. I, I don't think either of those is the right answer, though. I, I believe, first of all, we have to remember, um, we're tempted to believe this is a story about Paul. This isn't a story about Paul. The book of Acts is not about Paul, is it? This is a story about God and his mission, the, the work of the triune God in proclaiming the gospel. So it's, it's not about Paul. But the other thing, I think the, the point is that what Luke began the book of Acts with is now being fulfilled. Remember, if you want to, turn back to the beginning of book, the book of Acts, and what was he going to talk about? It says that Jesus, in verse 3, presented himself alive to his apostles after suffering many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So it begins with the kingdom of God. We see the kingdom of God throughout the book of Acts. It ends with the kingdom of God. And then he says in verse 8, Jesus says to his apostles, look, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. We covered that. Check. You will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria. Covered that. Check. And to all the ends of the earth. Where's Paul? He's in Rome. Check. So the story that Luke is trying to tell has been completed. Now, you say, well, Daniel, what happened to Paul? I don't know for sure, but here's what I, I believe happened based on very early evidences from the church. So really beginning uh, from the, even before the end of the first century, we have writings that tell us this. We know that during Paul's imprisonment, he writes what we call or the, the, the prison epistle, the prison epistles during these two years. So uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, he writes all those during these, these years. We believe that he was released after the two years, and maybe that's what Luke is getting at, that the Jewish accusers, recognizing that their, their uh, appearances before Roman officials have not gone all that well, they're like, man, we're here in Jerusalem, Rome's a long way off, we know this isn't going to go well, we'll keep him in prison there as long as they'll keep him, but we're not going to show up, and so they never show up, and so Paul is eventually released. I think that's a, a potential explanation. At some point, we, we believe Paul makes his way to Spain. Remember in the book of Romans, he talked about how his ambition was to make it to Spain. Hopefully he got there. I believe he did. And then, at some point, he wrote 1 Timothy and Titus. Then he's arrested again, and he writes 2 Timothy toward the end of his life, and he's martyred during the persecution of Nero in the mid-late 60s, maybe 67, 68 A.D. But as great as Paul is, as great as a, an example he is for us, even this morning as we think about persevering and proclaiming the gospel, Paul is not the hero of the story. Paul is not the one we pray to asking to be able to persevere in our own gospel ministry. The triune God is the hero of the story. 
With that in mind, let me, let me give us four encouragements as we leave the book of Acts. And there are many things I could say that I'm leaving out, of course, you know, as I think about meeting in the parking lot in, in June of 2020 and how this study began. There's so much that we've learned, I hope, over the last two plus years. But there are things that we've seen in the book of Acts that should be true of our church if we're meeting in a parking lot, should be true of our church if we're meeting in this building, if we're meeting in Asia or Africa or Europe or South America, no matter where we find ourselves, these things should be true. All this work done through the power of the Holy Spirit. So here's kind of four encouragements as we leave. Number one, let's, let's pray for conversions. As a church, let's pray for conversions. The, the hardness of the human heart is impossible to soften by human efforts. Our heart, as we come to the end of the book of Acts, should be bleeding for the lost, as Paul does in Romans 9 when he says, I have unceasing anguish and sorrow in my heart as he thinks about those who have not received the gospel. Charles Spurgeon was, was preaching uh, a sermon. It was on preaching to sinners, and he, he said this. He said, We shall always, I trust, as a church, cultivate an anxious desire for the conversion of all who come within our gates. It's my, he says, it's my, my delight to preach the doctrine of election. He goes, I, I like talking about deep spiritual doctrinal things. He says, but at the same time, I have felt it to be my duty to preach the gospel to every creature. We know no other limit to our invitation than this. Whosoever will, let him take of the water freely. He tells a story in that sermon of a woman who came to her pastor and said that she was going to go to another church, a church that had higher doctrine and less given to evangelistic efforts. The woman said to this pastor, she goes, whenever you preach the doctrines of grace, I'm very happy. But when I hear you inviting sinners to Christ, my heart goes down to my shoes. Can you imagine saying that out loud? That's like the part you keep quiet, right? How sad. Churches must love sound doctrine, as I believe we do, and we must simultaneously be passionate about the conversion for the lost. A love for the lost, the love for our lost children, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, friends, fellow, fellow people who, who attend this church. Our love for the lost is, is the headwater. It's, it's where the river of, of evangelism begins. And from that God-given heart that loves a sinner comes first prayer. Prayer for your parents. Prayer for your children who've wandered from the faith. Prayer for your kind neighbor. Prayer for the person who sat next to you on the bus. That's where it begins is a love for the lost. And brothers and sisters, as we leave the book of Acts, let us pray for God to intervene in a mighty way and bring forth life into dead souls as he does over and over and over again in the book of Acts and ever since. Secondly, let's proclaim the gospel, right? Let's proclaim the gospel. The, the evangelistic river continues. We, it begins with the love for the lost that God gives us, and it, it continues into to actually praying and sharing our faith. And I was talking uh, just, just this past week, you know, I, I pray for opportunities to share the gospel. I was talking with someone who was who, who told me that they were just uh, going around sharing the gospel with people th this past week. And I thought, well, that's probably more biblical than what I'm praying. Like, I'm praying, Lord, please, in your divine grace, compel someone to come to me and ask me, Daniel, 
how can I become a Christian? And then, and then uh, let them listen really carefully, right? That, that, that's not necessarily the biblical way to, to approach this, right? Let's proclaim the gospel. Remember, again, what we talked about. We want to proclaim, as we proclaim the gospel. We talk about God, who he is, our creator. We talk about who we are. We're sinners. We've violated the law of our creator. We're, we're separated from God because of our sin. We talked about how God solved our problem in the person of Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, taking on himself the penalty for our sins, rose from the dead. And then we talked to people about the response of that by returning from their sins and placing their faith in Jesus Christ, we can be saved. That's what we were proclaiming to people. Now, again, you think about that Acts 1-8 outline. Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, the remotest parts of the earth. Where's Jerusalem? It's, it's right here in central Illinois. It's the, the people that God brings into our relation, into a relationship with us on a, on a daily basis. That's our, our Jerusalem. And, and all of us, every single person in this, this room who would profess Jesus Christ, has the ability to, to testify, to witness of the power of God in their lives, to proclaim that good news of Jesus Christ. There's also Judea and Samaria. How does the gospel reach Judea and Samaria? God divinely intervenes in the church in Jerusalem. Persecution takes place and they're providentially scattered. My dream, very selfish dream, would be that no one would ever leave Central Illinois or Bethany Community Church, and we would all just continue to, to grow old here together until the Lord returns, but that's, that's not reality. God in his providence brings us, us out of Central Illinois and takes us to, you know, Judea and Samaria might be the United States, right? There's different locations and places that God is going to, to take some of us. But then there's also the, the, the remotest parts of the world. This is an intentional movement to other cultures. There's a, not just a, a providentially we kind of end up somewhere else, but, but it, by, by God's grace, God moves within our hearts, and, and some of us are moved to go to other cultures and proclaim the gospel. And someone asked me in a members class recently, I said, you know, what's, what's, the, what's a weakness of your church? I said, well, I don't know about uh, you know, we, we care too much. No. Uh, the, <laughs> what's we, well, you know, I, I think I, I, I'd love to see, and I, I don't know what God's plan here is, but I'd love God to, to help us in our, our evangelism. And, and specifically, I'd love to see more people called to missions. I'd love God to, to do that. And I, I believe we see beautiful stories of, of gospel work in our church. We see conversions. We see baptismal services where we're all brought to tears. We see God's tes, tes, testimonies to God's grace over and over again. We should be greedy for the glory of God, right? Greedy to see the glory of God exalted. Okay, so proclaim the gospel. Number three, a third encouragement as we leave the book of Acts, let's, let's plant churches, right? Let's plant churches. People need the gospel, but they also need the church. And how easy would it be for us to become complacent? We've we're not meeting in a parking lot anymore. We're meeting in this nice facility. Five Points was a great facility, but, but we have this facility throughout the week, and it's, it's beautiful. We can have coffee and come here, and it'd be very easy to become complacent. We don't need to worry about other churches. But I, I believe this series is hitting 
and a great time in the life of our church as we prepare potentially for the next phase of, of ministry at Bethany Community Church. We've talked before about our opportunity in Rome, and I believe that God is going to bring uh, Rome, Illinois, Chillicothe, uh, and, and, and just kind of that the relationship we're developing with, with that church. And, and even if, if God doesn't call us to continue in that partnership, I believe he's, he's kind of working in our hearts and helping us think about, okay, what, what does it look like to, to, to multiply our church and to, to revitalize and, and to plant? I was talking with uh, Austin this past week, and we were talking about how relationships change at you know, his stage of life as, as people you know, leave high school, enter college, and then uh, get out of college, and just how relationships change and how that's it's hard sometimes. It's also sweet to see people mature and change and, and all the beauty of that. And I, I thought, well, yeah, I mean, I think that's true. You know, be a parent and watch your, your kids change and see those relationships change. And it's, it can be hard, but it, it's also true in a church. What I hope happens in our church is that our relationships become tighter and tighter and also simultaneously, if this makes sense, looser and looser. To where you say, okay, we're going we're gonna to go deeper and deeper in our relationships with, with one another. We're going to love each other deeper and deeper. But as we do, we're going to see the beauty of, of sometimes letting go of some of us as we're called to different places. And that, that's a hard balance. John Stott. Listen to what John Stott wrote in the early 1980s. So, a long time ago. He tried to imagine the world in the year 2000. He said this, so 20 years, he tried to imagine a time 20 years ago, so here's what he wrote. He says, it's difficult to imagine the world in the year 2000, by which time versatile microprocessors are likely to be as common as simple calculators are today. So, true. He said, we should certainly welcome the fact that the silicon chip will transcend human brain power as the machine has transcended human muscle power. But then listen to what he says, much less welcome will be the probable reduction of human contact as the new electronic network renders personal relationships even less necessary. So he's writing that 42 years ago. And then he says these words, in such a dehumanized society, the fellowship of the local church will become increasingly important. He, is, he was absolutely right. The church in 2022 is just as vital, just as necessary as ever it has been. In a book, Rediscover Church, published just this year, it was written post-pandemic, the authors lament the, the rise of, of virtual church. And, and here's, here's what they say. This is virtual church is an oxymoron. And then here, here's the beauty of coming together as a church. They write, maybe you struggle with hidden hatred toward a brother all week. But then his presence at the Lord's table draws you to conviction and confession. You struggle with suspicion toward a sister, but then you see her singing the same songs of praise as yourself, and, and, you have, and your heart warms toward her. Maybe you're tempted in some sort of struggle this week, and the older couple in the church have a tender but pressing question over lunch. How are you really? And their question draws you into the light. None of this can be experienced virtually. Brothers and sisters, I love Bethany Community Church. I love seeing how God 
is working in your lives. And, and I love this church enough to where I, I want others to experience what we've been able to experience here as well. Let's plant churches for the glory of God so that others can love the church and experience her blessings. Last thing, number four, prepare the saints. Let's prepare the saints. Discipleship is a, is a key thing we see in the book of Acts. We don't just get saved and then say, okay, we're, we're good to go. Nothing else is necessary. There is this, this process of continuing to, to grow. The saints are to push on in discipleship. As I was talking with Blake this last week about discipleship, he says, you know, the, the goal would be to have a, a culture of discipleship at BCC, a, a recognition that all of us need to not just be uh, attending church, but in discipleship relationships, being discipled and discipling others. And, and if you're looking for a, a discipleship relationship, first of all, I encourage you to be a part of care groups, but also encourage you to be a part of one-on-one discipleship. There's a ministry we have called Partners Ministry, and Brock and Jody Gerber are helping kind of plug people into that ministry. Contact them if you'd like more information or contact Blake and find out about how to be involved in that. We need God. We need God to continue to enable us to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and to prepare his people to worship him forever. Only God can soften the heart. Only God can enable us who've received the gospel to persevere in the proclamation of the gospel. And so what I want to do now is let's, let's just take a few minutes here and let's, let's ask God to help us as we close the study here in the book of Acts to be faithful to be in the church that God has called us to be. Pray with me and I'm going to ask you to just spend some, some time and quiet prayer, then also corporate. Let, let, let me begin. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to you for this church. And we're, we're grateful that you have enabled us by your grace to come into relationship with you. Father, if there are people who are not in relationship with you through faith, I, I first pray that you would soften their hearts even now as they, they hear your word and think about the, what your word said about the, the prophet. Isaiah to, to the people that he was speaking to and the, how Paul used it to the people in Rome and how it also applies perhaps to, to themselves this morning, that their, their hearts have become hardened. Their ears have not heard the, the good news of the gospel. The, the, the beauty of the gospel has not been perceived with their eyes. I pray that in your kindness you would soften their heart this morning. And even as I, I quote this scripture, that they would say, that, that's, that's me, and, and God, you are doing something within me, and, and I turn to you in faith, placing my, my faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, alone for salvation. And then, Father, we also, we think about, as we come to the book, end of the book of Acts, we, we think about these areas. First of all, we pray for conversions. And we take just a moment now and we think of some names and, and situations maybe you're bringing to our heart right now and we, we pray for your divine intervention in those lives. We just take a moment and do that now. Lord, soften their hearts, draw them to yourself. And then we also pray this morning that you would help us proclaim the gospel, 
that you would not only prepare the field for us, but that you would embolden our hearts. Uh, Paul asks for boldness, and we see you, as, as we come to the end of the book of Acts, we, we see you granting his request for boldness. We see you granting the request of your saints at the beginning of the book of Acts as they face persecution to continue to proclaim your name with boldness. And, and now we ask the same blessing for us. We pray that as we, we think about those names you brought to mind, we, we pray that we would have the, the courage to talk with them about the gospel. That you give us the, the words to say and, and the, the heart to proclaim it. We pray for, for church planting. We pray for church planting in this, this area, this region. Give us wisdom. We pray for the, the planting of churches throughout the world. Churches that are not perfect, but, but churches that are, that are healthy, that are biblical, that are proclaiming your truth, that are loving the lost, that are discipling the saints. Which brings us finally, Lord, we pray that you prepare the saints here at Bethany in our Sunday school classes, our Bible studies, that the partners ministry and the preaching of the word and our, our care groups, we pray that we would continue to, to know you more and more. And as we, we think about the, the great doctrines of, of truth that concern who you are and who we are and that your purpose is for us and the nature of Scripture, that these doctrines would not be cold doctrines, but they would be doctrines that, that serve as, as kindling, that, that lights a great fire, that's, that burns in passion of love for you and a desire to exalt your name. We pray this through the enabling of the Holy Spirit in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.